Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the Raw Knuckles podcast. We'd really appreciate it if you'd like, subscribe, and share with a friend. I, I cared. I, that's all I could do is I, I, I cared. Uh, you know, I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I didn't start playing hockey because I wanted to play in the National Hockey League. I played because I, I loved the game. Uh, I didn't start coaching the, the hockey game because I, I wanted to get the NHL. I, I coached it because I, 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 I loved the game. When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down, and I never stayed down. And I was vicious, and I was malicious, and I don't care. <laughs> I'm alive. He's a freaking madman. Look at him going to town. That'll be a suspension. That'll be a fine. Alive. Listen, thanks for joining us today, Raw Knuckles Podcast. And, you know, God, I, I, you and I played against each other. Um, I started my career. I was in Nova Scotia. You started uh, in Adirondack. You were with the Wings, drafted by the Wings. And um, it's funny, pro hockey for me, I knew nothing. I mean, I love the Bruins, but I, I didn't know anything about the way it worked, okay? And we're going to talk a bit about that today as we get going here, but I had no idea of how the inner workings in the NHL when I was a kid and uh, off the training camp, I'm in the American league and I'll never forget the first night um, I played against you and you, and I told you, I was an admirer of yours from far and young kid. And I saw you in Adirondack, we were playing and you got in a fight with one of my teammates and give it to him. And then you scored two goals that night. And I was like, wow, that kid's a good player. I like his style. Anyway, paths never crossed. Um, and I admired you from a distance. Um, and, and, you know, I'll get into that a little more as we go. But your upbringing, um, being an indigenous, from the indigenous community, um, Garden River, Ontario, you grew up on a, a reservation. Um, what? What was that like for you growing up on the reservation and, and trying to, I guess, get into the game of hockey? How did that happen? Well, well, Chris, first of all, thank you very much for having me on your, on your podcast. And, and I, uh, I'm a big, uh, big admirer of yours also for all, especially all the, all that you went through and, and where you landed now and, and what you're doing now. It's, 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 uh, it's great to see. So uh, thank you for having Appreciate me on. And, you know, where I, I grew up, I, I grew up in northern Ontario, right dead center of the Great Lakes, uh, outside the city of Sault Ste. Marie, where uh, hometown to Phil and Tony Esposito, Ivan Boldrev, uh, Jerry Korab. So got a real rich tradition of hockey. But I grew up in a, in a very small First Nation community. There was about maybe uh, four to five hundred people when I grew up. Uh, I'm from a large family, got six brothers and, and five sisters. Uh, we grew up in a house that didn't have uh, electricity or plumbing when I first, uh, uh, I think we got our indoor plumbing when I moved away to Kenora, Ontario, when I was 16 years of age. So I never went into an indoor bathroom outside of maybe in school uh, or had a shower or a bath until then. But uh, you know, at times, times were tough. You know, we, uh, we went through our, our moments where there wasn't too much, uh, too much food on, on the table and, uh, and the wood stove goes out in the middle of wintertime in Northern Ontario. Boy, she, she gets cold. Uh, but outside of that, you know, Chris, uh, I, I wouldn't have changed it for the world. I mean, I, uh, I had a lot of love and support. We didn't have a lot of uh, material things, but we certainly had a lot of love and, and support. And everyone kind of took care of each other and, uh, and uh, protected each other. So uh, I, I find my, my life back home was, was, was splendid growing up. Growing up in, in that community, growing up in that household, 12 years, no electricity, no plumbing. I, I guess it didn't take you long to learn how to be grateful when you got some things as, as a youngster, right? You know, a lot of kids, they grew up with some with excess, some with not a lot, but the grateful piece, did that come in pretty young for you? Oh, it came in very, very, very young. I, I was very thankful for everything. And, you know, I, I, I realized, uh, uh, really early in age that, that we weren't privileged with a lot of things. We didn't have a car. You know, I, I joined the Recreation League in Sault Ste. Marie when I was, I think, about 10 years old. Um, 
And I, and I tell this story everywhere I go. Uh, I, I fell in love with the game of hockey in my backyard. And I made that rink in my backyard uh, just like walking in life. It's, it's one pail of water at a time. I fill up a bucket about this big, uh, walked around my corner of my house, put it on some snow, packed it out with my feet. You know, somebody asked me how, how many pails of water. I, I bet you I must have a couple thousand pails of water to make a hockey <laughs> rink. But, uh, you know, my, my first pair of skates were size, you know, six, seven. My, my feet were size three. I, I remember putting my rubber boots inside to make them a little bit more snug and, and tie them up. And, and basically that's where I, I learned to, to play hockey on reserve. And then my family finally got enough money to put it together so I can join the Recreation League in, in Sault Ste. Marie. So I played recreational hockey my, my whole life, no AAA, no AA. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's somebody upstairs must have been watching out for me because somebody, somebody saw me play somewhere and asked me to go try out for the for the Sioux Greyhounds of all, all teams when, when I was 17 years old. And, uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky played there, Craig Hartsburg, Greg Millen, uh, you know, there was a lot of lot of really good players, and I was I was asked to go try out when I was uh, 17 years of age. So, who who was it that saw you the first time when you asked to go? No organized hockey, just rec hockey, and then you up going go to Sioux. Um, it, how often were you off the res as a kid, though? Like, like uh, did only, you get off the only, res often? Only when I had to. Uh, yeah. I went to, to school. Uh, we went, we actually, there's a big thing in Canada right now with the, with the residential schools yeah. and how horrific of a, but, uh, our family, we didn't go. We went to a, a thing called the day school where the day school was at least they let us come home at nighttime. So we're relatively safe outside of, you know, the, the ear pulling and, the and the humiliation they, they caused us at school once in a while. So, uh, it, it wasn't too bad, but that's basically, you know, I, I, I really believe a gentleman passed away a number of years ago. His name was Bill LeClaire, and he owned our, uh, he was a manager of our trip or our house league midget team. And he was a good friend of one of the gentlemen who owned the Sioux Greyhounds. So I really believe he's the one who kind of asked him, uh, said, hey, you got to take a look at this guy. Uh, and all of a sudden I went up to training camp. I didn't make the team, but they sent me out to Kenora, Ontario, with the, which is the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. But in the summertime, uh, geez, we, uh, he gave me a, a job in his construction company. So I, I think he, uh, Bill LeClaire would be the guy who really, really kind of helped me with the, with the hockey outside of uh, recreation hockey. Was that happening with like other players in, in your community? Like, or were you kind of like the only one? No, I, I was the only one. Uh, wow. but a lot of the, a lot of the kids we, uh, it's funny. We, we started a, a program here in Ontario called the Little NHL. Uh, and, and at the time, it meant Little Native Hockey League. And because we, we went into the cities, not that we weren't good enough. It just, uh, you know, sometimes the city didn't, uh, didn't take a liking to someone who didn't look like them, who didn't live in the same neighborhood as them. So we were never, not that I didn't try out for some of those uh, single A teams or double A teams. I just, I just never made it. Uh, whether I made it if I wasn't good enough or I wasn't uh, the right right size for the community is, is another thing. So what we did is we, we formed our own league. So we formed uh, kind of like traveling teams from our own communities. We went to a, a tournament in Espanola, Ontario. And today uh, we started off that tournament in 1972, I believe. Uh, and there were 17 teams. And uh, the last tournament they had outside of uh, before COVID, they had 245 teams in the province of Ontario, and it's still going very, very strong. Yeah, you know, again, I admire, for the, you know, I mean, the path that was given you, but the path you forged yourself and um, having that opportunity from Bill. But, you know, what I want to know, and I, you know, we spoke about this. I have a very good friend in Montreal, the native um, from Kanawaki, and we're, we're really close. And I've talked quite a bit uh, to him about the residential schools, the issues, and I've researched it uh, a bit on my own. Um, you know, when I, when I think of what I went through as a youth hockey player and how difficult it was just to make every team I tried out for and get those opportunities, and I, I guess what I want to ask is how difficult when you left the res, because I've seen it, and John talked to me about it, my buddy. He said, Chris, a lot of these kids – who, who live up in northern Quebec on the reses, the first time they come down 
to say Montreal on a trip is the first time they ever have to deal with that racism or that, that, you know, people looking at them different. And a lot of times it gives them that feeling of insecurity and they can't wait to get back to the Reds because they've had a bad experience. Did that happen to you? Like when you first got off the res the first time or the second time? Uh, you know, it happened at school a few times, but I had so much uh, uh, brothers around and uh, we were pretty tough. My, uh, my brother was a pro, uh, pro boxer and my uncles uh, uh, had the boxing gym in Sault Ste. Marie in the city. And a couple of my cousins made the 84 Olympic, uh, uh, the one that got canceled, uh, boxing team. So we, 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 we knew how to protect ourselves pretty good. But when we were by ourselves... When I went to Kenora, Ontario, that was the first time I really, really kind of faced any kind of direct uh, racism on a, on a daily basis. You know, I was I was 16 years old, and uh, you know, uh, there's I bet you for the first month, month and a half, I I, I cr- literally cried myself to sleep in Kenora, wondering why people would. Uh, I, I wasn't the biggest guy; I only played at 170, 175. Yeah. I was just just barely six foot, and some of these guys were six four, six five, two thirty, and uh, they were pretty big guys, and so you fight them at, at the hockey rink, and that's trying to make the team. Then you got to play the exhibition games and fight the opposition. Then you go to school and have a few few fights there. So, um, you know, I, I, so I, I stopped going to school. I, I didn't go to school the rest of the grade nine year because uh, I, I, I couldn't fight in two places at one time. And, and, and Chris, I wouldn't even – there's one incident that happened in Kenora I'll, I'll never forget. You know, there's, there's a thing in, in Canada called the missing and murdered women. Um, yeah. And um, I was walking down the, the street one day in, in Kenora, and somebody thought I was looking at his, it as him and his girlfriend were making out in the car or whatever. And he grabbed me. He was going to throw me over the ledge of the, of the hotel, and the ledge had to be 20 feet down. And it was into the rocks, into the into the water, and uh, thank God some uh, some of my uh, friends that I made on the hockey team seen me seen me struggling with this man, uh, a full grown man, and they came over and res- rescued me, and I, I could have been you know thrown over that uh, edge, but th- those are the type of things that I faced on a on a regular basis. So when when I when I when I talk about the age of sixteen, where the game for me kind of switched from love of the game to survive in the game uh, was was probably the the biggest uh, uh, movement and a kind of that stubborn bone in, in me and the stuff that happened to our people I just refused for them to chase me home uh, the more they 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 name called me the more they fought the more determined I was to, to stick it out and, and but do I remember hockey <laughs> I don't remember hockey at all uh, uh, I don't even remember any practices. I, I just must have been one of those uh, state of minds to just get through the year. And uh, I came home and uh, swear to God, I never ever put myself in that position again. And but the next year, uh, it must have did pretty good for my hockey development because the next year I came home to uh, Sault Ste. Marie and I, and I made the Sioux Greyhounds uh, in the Ontario Hockey League, uh, which is a major junior hockey, one of the three major junior hockey leagues that we have in Canada with the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, the Western and the Ontario. So to play with the Sioux Greyhounds uh, near my home was probably, uh, um, I wouldn't say worth it, but it was an uh, end result. In Kenora, did you live with like a family? You know, you know I, I, was, I was telling my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, uh, we've been together, geez, 40, 46 years. But anyways, I was telling her, I mean, I, I live with another boy on, on the team. Uh, he was a, he's a school teacher right now, a uh, very good student. Never once did uh, my parents, grandparents ever say, hey, Ted, you going to school? I, I slept until I got up and they never, uh, never asked me if I was coming home for supper. Uh, my coach was a, uh, was a uh, vice principal at the school, I believe, and he never asked me if I went to school. So it was just, uh, uh, it was just one of those, you know, if you send your son somewhere, your daughter somewhere, you'd hope the organization would help take care of that, that child when you're in town. But up there, it was just, uh, it was just one lost, uh, lost year. Wow. So you go from Kenora to the Sioux, play a couple of years at the Sioux, and Again, it must be, when I think of how difficult it must be from that standpoint, and you, you know, Kenora, you have the issue with this guy, uh, an adult who, um, you know, is basically putting you in fear for your life and danger. And then now you're moving on to the Sioux. 
and you get to the Sioux junior hockey and there weren't a lot of native boys playing in, in junior right at the time there weren't a lot no no i i think uh, uh dale mccourt was just kind of ending yeah. up dale grew up there's a little bit difference between uh you know first nation gentlemen who uh, grew up on a first nation community versus one that lives in the city there's a little bit of a yeah. little, little bit of a cultural cultural difference and, and what have you so uh, i'm not too sure if dale got it as much as i did but uh uh, I, I got it pretty good. And a couple of guys in the league at the time, they were big guys. I mean, that Ben Wilson that played for, uh, yeah. uh, he was a big man. Flyers, <laughs> yeah, I know. Tackle, tackle those <laughs> right. type of guys on a regular basis, boy. It, it's tough. <laughs> so we're there, we're, we're in the games and, and dealing with that part. And I don't want to get bogged down in this, but I, I think it's important for people to know. Like, dealing with that at that level, was there anybody in management or – you know, people calling your names or saying, you know, you know, nasty shit to you. Like, was there anybody there that would like kind of take your side and stick up for you and trying to get you through that? Well, it, it wasn't so bad with the stands in Sault Ste. Marie because I, like I said, I had six brothers and a lot of them came to the games and uh, we, we grew up in a, in a kind of a tough neighborhood. So yeah. anybody who said anything to me, I'm quite sure my brothers would have, would have addressed that right during the, during the game. So I was, I, I didn't feel so bad in Sault Ste. Marie, but there was two incidences that happened when I was playing with the Sioux Browns. We're going down for one of my first exhibition games. I look out, uh, at the bus, we're the last ones paying for our, our uh, treats that we're getting at the local store going down to the game. And the bus pulls out and it leaves us on the side of the road. And I'm going, <laughs> we're an hour away outside of Sault Ste. Marie heading down to Sudbury. The the other guy who was in the bathroom, he he missed a bus too. He hitchhiked back to Sault Ste. Marie. He said, that's it for me. I'm not, I'm, I'm not putting up with this stuff. And I go on the other side of the road and I hitchhike down to Sudbury. I, I, I make the game. Showed up. And then, and then another time in London, Ontario, they left me behind again. So is that coincidences? I'm not too sure. But did I get uh, the odd name called in, in junior? No, no question. I, I, I never, I don't remember fighting in the game uh, for the pure reason of, of a fight. Because of that? It was usually, because of it? It was because of it. You get yeah. back to the reservation, you walk through, you, you squall humper, you, all those type of things. Uh, it just gets... It just gets annoying after a while, and you and you and you address it. And after you address it a couple times, then the word would spread. They, uh, um, I wasn't one of those guys you could just name call and not not defend what you said. At what point, like, do you remember, like, when you started seeing like other players eventually, like, uh, of you know your native descent, like, where you felt because you probably had to have felt pretty alone, right? I mean, is that kind of like your initial feeling when stuff like that happens? You just be, you feel like alone, yeah. or were you, you just was it? You just kind of go ahead. Sorry, yeah, that was no, I no. If I, I it, it's funny you said that because every year of hockey uh, from Kenora, I, I think I got severely scarred on on that year because every year that I left after that, I, I was drafted by the Detroit Red Wings. I go down to uh, training camp, and then there's Dave Hansen and all those guys at, at training camp. So it was pretty pretty rough. And I remember hopping in a bus right after one day of practice. I said, this is enough for me. I'm, I'm done. So I, I caught the bus back home. Thankfully, Ted Lindsay called me and explained how things work, and, and he brought me back. But uh, did I feel like an outsider? No question. Every, every year that I, that I – even when I, when I coached, I didn't feel part of. Because, you, you know, when, you, when friends grow, all grow up in the same neighborhood, they all kind of talk the same, they look the same, they go to the same events. And when you're a little bit different – and you don't go to the events, um, they, they look at you quite differently. So I, I felt that from from the time I, I put a pair of skates on. Well, you sure um, you stuck it out there in um, Detroit. You end up playing three years with the Adirondack Red Wings. Um, and then up to the NHL, you played 41 games. And then back down to Adirondack, back up in 84 uh, with the wings uh, for 19 games. And then uh, you get traded and you're in Rochester, Baltimore, and you played 18 games in Pittsburgh, 85, 86. And listen, I, I don't get it. Do you think, because when I saw you play, you can certainly skate at that level. You were hard nosed. You were certainly a useful player, a guy that could certainly 
um, maybe not top six. I wasn't a top six, but you could definitely play in the NHL. There's no question about it. Do you think, you know, your your upbringing, where you're from, had an adverse effect on your career in the NHL? I, yes, yes, I, I definitely uh-huh. do. Because when you, when, uh, uh, you know, even a coach, I, 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 uh, one of the coaches, you know, grabbed the, grabbed the stick and he said, I'll show you a Ted Nolan school of stick handling. And he started using it like a tomahawk and started pounding the, pounding the, pounding the sucks. and all of a sudden, what, what are you going to do? I mean, you're, right. you're uh, second, you're first year pro. And I only knew what I, I knew. And I charged right after him and I gave him the biggest, uh, uh, biggest sucker punch I could find and jumped on yeah. top. <laughs> and I, and I remember going, I, I skated right off the ice. Took my equipment off, drove uh, drove to the little apartment I was renting. Told my wife at the time, uh, uh, my wife at that time, I said, "Pack up, we're out of here, we're we're done." He said, "Well, what did you do?" I said, well, I, "I sucker punched the coach." I said, "I don't think you're going to live with that too too long." So, anyways, I, I get a long story. I get a call from the general manager, and he arranges a meeting with the coach, and we went out for a while. We 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 talked out our differences, but I, I think at the time it was probably so embarrassing. For the organization to say, "Hey, how come this kid left?" Uh, so we 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 uh, dealt with it, uh, talked about it, and uh, forgot about it. And probably this is probably about the second or third time that I that I even mentioned the, the incident. Wow. Do you think either of your uh, sons are experienced anything like that, or you know, or you think times have changed where hopefully they're not dealing with stuff like that? Or what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know what? With both my boys, I I built a hockey rink in my backyard, and. Uh, and just like my brothers taught me, my brother was a pro boxer, and he ta- he taught me how to switch hands from left to right. And he said, "Blah, blah, hockey players don't know how to do that." Uh, he showed me how to punch from the hip and all that stuff. So I started teaching my boys, and uh, as soon as I started te- teaching them, I'm going, uh, "Time they turn pro, fighting will be out of the game for sure." I, I thought so. Anyways, Brandon turns pro. Sure enough, the fighting's still there. So I said, "Jordan, we're going to teach you how to fight." So, so we. Uh, so you would you just have to teach them to defend those defend mm-hmm. themselves, but they uh, their upbringing and my upbringing was was totally different. Yeah. I mean, their their fridge was always full. The heat would if we wanted air conditioning, we went and got air conditioning. They needed a ride to the rink, I give them a ride. So their their life was a lot different, and we were kind of like uh, mother and uh, mother and mother and papa bear. We went to every practice. We we watched the behaviors of of the coach, see if anybody. Uh, said anything derogatory to them, and so yeah. uh, no, they, they they didn't have too much outside of the odd the odd stuff uh, facing some opposition. Well, that's good, and certainly there has been progress made, but it's nowhere certainly where it needs to be. And um, you know, you go from playing, and the, certainly the Sioux was good for you, Ted, no question about it. And you start your coaching career there, um, and and. You were a midseason replacement, uh, right? In nine, was it in '88? Um, becoming that head coach at the time um, and going in there, God, you, you end up three Memorial Cups. You went to and you won one. Um, man, you had some magic potion. What What do you think it was in you that you were able to get through to these kids? I think it was direct um, on how I felt as a player. Uh, you know, coaches seem to talk to the star players more often. Uh, they understood their mistakes more often. They they let them play after they made a mistake more often. And if you were as a fourth liner, you turned the puck over one time, they would just give it to you. And all of a sudden, if you turned it over too many times, it would sit you out. So uh, I was wondering why they always treat people differently. And then I looked at my, my skin color. Then I went into to the game and, and how the society of the game treated you differently. So my whole approach when I started hockey was, when I started coaching was, I'm going to treat them the way I wanted, I wanted to be treated. I wanted to give them respect. I wanted to talk to them. I wanted to explain to them if they, if I did bench them or if I sat them out. I wanted they wanted to know why. No one ever told me. So I just, uh, um, you know, it's funny, Chris. When I when I retired from the game, I went to the doctor and he told me I had two ruptured discs in my lower back and I couldn't play anymore. I walked out of that uh, um, doctor's office with a sign of relief. I said, Boy, I'm done. I don't have to go back. I'm done. And uh, so I went to school 
and I ran into Frank Anzalone. He was the uh, yeah, head coach for the yeah. head coach of the Lake Superior State Lakers, and I went. That's where I went to school. And Frank asked me if I'd help out during uh, uh, during practice a few times, which I did. And then Phil Esposito, another name, he found out I was helping out the American team, and he said, "Why don't you come and help us out?" And I went over to, but a month later, they fired the head coach and asked me to take over, which I, I immediately declined. I said, no, <laughs> I, I, I can't coach. I'm, I'll help him in practice, but I can't coach. And uh, he said, well, just do it for a little while. And that little while kind of went into a few games, and all of a sudden the fans are booing. I'm going, I'm, I'm just doing the guy a favor. Yeah. <laughs> he should be clapping maybe. So anyways, <laughs> I found out that uh, you know, they, they, they think I can't coach either. Just like the, I can't play. Now they think yeah. I can't coach. So I went and learned how to be a coach. I, I went out and studied and uh, um, how to put line combinations together. Um, and, I, and I brought a little bit of my own native spirituality into the, into the game. Because I'm from a family of 12. And I thought I was the, the gifted one of the family. Mom and dad liked me the best because I was a I was an athlete. I was a powwow dancer. Uh, I went to ceremonies when I was a kid. Then my sister, I heard her say to her friends that she was the gift, the, the most spoiled one. Then I heard my other brother say the same thing. So when I found out, we all did. And that's the approach I wanted with, with hockey. I wanted every player to feel that they, they're an important part, whether they had three shifts, four shifts, or whether they scored one goal or a guy scored 50 goals. Uh, but I wanted them to know that they're going to get treated the same, and I think that's why some some of the some of the top end athletes uh, they learned after a little while they made a mistake. They're they're going to sit just like the other guys did, not as long to, to <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're going to sit a little bit. Why do you? So what do you think it was right away that made you think like you you declined it? Like why you just inexperienced, or did you actually like with the way you were you you were brought up? What, what were your expectations of these? players like I mean I'm, I can only imagine like was it thinking like a lot of these kids are spoiled I mean you, you you overcame a lot and so like what was the initial reason you think why you declined that I the reason I, I declined because I, I was done with with hockey I, I just okay. didn't want to uh, go through it again I didn't want to get humiliated again I didn't want to get name called again I didn't want to feel like it didn't belong again so I was done and uh, and when when I started taking over and then uh, Phil asked me to, to do it, which I declined. I did it for a little while. Then they started booing. Then I started talking to the players. And the, the players were asking me questions that I, I wanted to ask the coach, but I didn't have – I felt I wasn't uh, worthy for the for the conversation. So I just zipped it up and I just played. And yet all these players were asking me questions and I, I helped them as much as I could. Then I, I felt um, an obligation. If I'm going to coach these guys, I better know what I'm doing. So uh, I went out and uh, studied. I, I went out and studied like a, like a fiend. I, I bought Phil Jackson's uh, uh, Sacred Hoops, uh, which I think was a fabulous book. I got a hold of uh, Ray Shiro, Fred Shiro's son, uh, and found out how he, what his coaching theories were with the Philadelphia Flyers back in the day. I called up a number of pro coaches that I had. I called up Bantam coaches that I had, and I, I talked to them for about a month, two weeks at a time. And I just accumulated all this stuff, and I went back the following year. And uh, lo and behold, we went from bottom to, to for three consecutive Memorial Cups in a row. And I just really felt um, treating a group of, of, of young men or, or young women, whatever you, you're coaching, is uh, getting everybody feel part of, of the unit and feeling worthy and talk to them about their education, talk to them about their, their problems or issues off the ice. You know, we had uh, a young gentleman uh, by the name of Chris Simon. At the time, he was uh, he was going yeah. down that uh, that road, which I, I could have went down that road just as easy. Uh, and I talked to Chris, and uh, we give him. A, uh, I suspended him, I, I, not not because he was uh, yelling at a referee. No, I suspended him because of his behavior. And uh, we worked on it. And knock on wood, geez, he uh, he stopped uh, going to the bars, and he was uh, sober for like 17, 20 years. And uh, and he went off to win a Stanley Cup. And so we made a big difference in his life. And that's what I really wanted to do as a, as a coach, make, make a difference in the, in the young man's life. And, and, that's you awesome. know, that's awesome. And I, I look at the three Memorial Cups and, you know, the average guy, if they go to three Memorial Cups, if they go to one or two, they're getting a sniff in the NHL one way or the other. You 
end up getting hired as an assistant with the Whalers to start 94, 95. How did that come about? And geez, do you, you think you might've got a sniff at a head coaching job after what you did those three years, right? Well, well, you know what, Chris, when you, when you grow up on that side of the tracks, yeah. you know exactly where, where your, where your lane is and, and the expectations. And, and I knew uh, if I was ever going to, which I never, I never thought about going to the NHL to coach. I, I was happy doing what I did, but when I got asked to uh, go, um, I actually got asked to go a year before I got asked to coach the Ottawa Redneck Red Wings by the Detroit organization, and uh, and I and I thought about it. We went to two Memorial Cups and uh, go and coach their farm team, and uh, I didn't want to go. And people would say I was a flash in a pan. Uh, no. I just I was lucky. I, no, I wanted to leave as a winner. I wanted to win that Memorial Cup. So I went. Uh, I declined Detroit. I uh, went back the following year. We we won the Memorial Cup. Then a year after that, uh, Jimmy Rutherford, uh, who is um, a fierce competitor of ours in the Ontario Hockey League, uh, he didn't like me too much, and <laughs> I didn't like him much either. So uh, we had some words. And uh, but at the OHL draft, I went into the bathroom, and Jimmy was in the bathroom, and I, and he just took over copyware, or he just bought the Hartford Whalers. And so the you know uh, right thing to say is congratulations. And if you do the same thing you did in junior, I'm quite sure you're going to have great success in in the NHL. Then uh, the next words came out of his mouth. He said, "What are you doing next year?" And uh, my jaw almost dropped. And he he flew me down. We had an interview, and he hired me to become the assistant coach with Hartford Whalers. And who was the head coach at that time, Teddy? Uh, Paul Paul Holmgren. Okay, Paul Holmgren. was uh, Homer was the uh, head coach. So. You start your career there and then um, um, off to Buffalo uh, that next season uh, through 97. Now, um, God, uh, I, you know, that whole Buffalo thing with you. And I, I watched it, man, and I, uh, it seemed to me from afar and not knowing, but it seemed to me your teams would go through the wall for you. They played for you. You looked like you had it going on. Now, what happened in Buffalo? You get the job there. I've heard all sorts of things and rumors, and I know how people talk, and I'm like, man, I have a hard time to believe that. And I want, I guess, to give you an opportunity to set the record straight here and let people know the real deal. And we spoke about what it was. You know, I've heard everything. You slept with the goalie's wife. You did this, the owner, everything. And I'm like, man, that just, it doesn't, from what I knew of you, and I knew you from afar, and, and honestly, I just, I thought Ted Nolan was a nice guy. I couldn't see him doing that. Shed some light onto that whole Buffalo situation, if you can. Well, you, you know, uh, I, I was, I had a long time to analyze it and try to figure it out my, myself because I, I, I went into a very dark place about a year after I was let go by Buffalo because of all the stuff that you just said. And Crazy. and actually the, the stuff that you just said and people are actually believing it. And I'm yeah. going. And then all of a sudden you, you start talking about defamation of character and you start talking about all this stuff. I'm going, you know, and I called a good friend of mine. I said, Ted, when somebody has a multi-million, billion-dollar corporation and a little guy like you going to fight, you haven't got a hope in heck. Of, of winning anything. So just walk. So I, I took his advice and I walked away and I said, I don't want nothing to do with hockey the rest of my life. And, uh, and I found out all those, all those rumors. I, I went to a event. I went to a Buffalo uh, Bills. I never been to a football game in my life. I went to a, uh, the, the tailgating and all that stuff. And I was driving. So I, I drove home uh, uh, a gentleman from Buffalo and he said, geez, coach, is it true? I said, what? That you, uh, you slept with uh uh, goalie's wife and go what so anyways he said that's a rumor all over town so anyway, i i called home right away and i said sam you know another rumor i just heard today and i heard the other ones i was i was drunk at practice and uh drinking yeah, all this yeah. and all that stuff and you know chris probably that one probably hurt the, the most was the was the drinking because my my mom was uh, uh killed by a drunk driver and uh wow. i have uh, i have six brothers who are you know five brothers who are alcoholics uh and one or st one's still here. Uh, uh, five of them passed on now already, and uh, because of that, so that one probably hurt the most was uh, 
because I, I try to pride myself on uh, trying to be a good father, trying to be a, you know, I went out for beers like everybody else did. But uh, to say I was, I was drunk at practice was, uh, um, and, and I finally came to the conclusion they, they couldn't get rid of me because of the record. Because our team was, uh, we won the Northeast Division title. I just won the coach of the year, so they can't get rid of me for, uh, right. Uh, but they got rid of, rid of me for that reason. Then they, they, they said I was uh, undisciplined. I wouldn't listen to management. But now they, you find out with the, uh, 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 the unwanted visitor, I did a little piece for TSN up here in Canada. And one of the first things I, uh, I was told to do was with Pat LaFontaine got hurt. And uh, I think it was yeah. his sixth or seventh concussion, whatever. And anyways, we, as, as I did during my coaching career, I'd call the players into the office, talk to them how the, how the day's going, how's the kids, how the family. And he, because uh, no one ever asked me. No one ever asked me. He said, Ted, what, how's it going in life? I yeah. oh, my father just died last week. Yeah, just get fucking ready to play. That's yeah, what yeah, it was, right? Forget right about that. So I, I really wanted to, so I, I talked to Patty. And, uh, I, and I looked at his eyes, and his eyes were kind of twirling a little bit. And I'm going, "Geez, he doesn't look—he doesn't look good to me." So I, I asked him. I said, "Patty, how how you feeling?" He said, oh, "He said good." I said, "No, no, tell me how you're really feeling. Not because we're—I'm just asking you the question. How you feeling? You're just going to say, yeah. No, tell me how you really." I said, "Oh." Then he he started crying. Then he started getting emotional. And then I'm going, "Geez, something wrong." So anyway, I told him I'm going to scratch him for the game. We're going to, of all teams, Hartford to play. And I, I mentioned he's going to stay home and uh, get some rest. I'll, I'll make him an excuse that he pulled a groin in practice. Uh, the general manager found out that I was doing it. Uh, he called me up. He says, John Makala. John Makala. Right. He yeah. said, well, what are you doing? He said, you're no doctor. You play him. And I said, we're paying him X amount of dollars. And you're going to play him. I said, John, I can't. I already gave him a day off. I said, you're, you're not listening to me? I said, I can't. I already told him. So anyway, he got the owner to call me. Then the owner called me and told me the same thing. And I'm going, I, I can't. So anyways, I, I stuck by my guns. Thankfully, I did because Patty went to the uh, doctor, found out he had post-concussion syndrome. Uh-huh. And after they found out that, I thought I was going to get a slap on the back to say, good job. We never saw that. It uh-huh. was, uh, no, Ted doesn't listen to people. And uh-huh. all of a sudden, the drunks and... Uh, Oh, the rumors well, the other rumors started, and, and they just crucified me. And uh, even I had one of the oh. owners in, in the documentary saying, uh, well, the plan was to give, an offer, give him an offer that we knew he would refuse. So we got it right on video that the, that the gentleman said it. So all that stuff combined, I'm going, geez, I just really want – we're only here for a short time, Chris. We're not yeah. here for, for a long time, and I really want to enjoy, enjoy my life. So I, I, I just walked away. I just walked yeah. away. Well, God bless you. If I, and, and again, to have the strength to do that, and, and listen, it was a low ball off and no question, but to have the balls to stand up to that and and show your genuine care about Pat LaFontaine, a player for you, a guy that goes out there night in and night out, tries to do his job, is in a bad way, and you stick to your guns, that's courage. As far as the other thing, and, you know, I, I don't want to get into it, but, but the whole muckler thing and, you know, Listen, that old school in hockey, you know, uh, you know how things work. And then, you know, you end up getting blackballed, basically. And, and, and that sucked. It's nice that you, you had that strength and the courage to walk away. But that, that um, departure from Buffalo, what did you do when you walked away? Like, you know, obviously from going from coaching every day, being around the game, all of a sudden it's not there anymore. How difficult was that, and and what what was your next move? Well, yeah, you know, it was very very difficult. I'm uh, even affected my my home life. Uh, I was I was frustrated because at the time, my my wife really my wife's the total um, opposite of of me. As far as uh, uh, she looks at the good in everything, and yeah. and I said, and we we talked about uh, some presidential things. She said, no, no, it can't be that. I'm going, it is. So anyways, we started arguing a little bit. And it got to a point, uh, Chris, it got really uh, not, not very good between us. So I, um, I packed up and I left. I, I went home. I went back to the reservation. And, uh, and I stayed there by, by myself. I, I left my two boys. It was probably the, the most darkest uh, period of, of my life. Um, I, I was feeling sorry for myself. I was feeling frustrated. 
uh, I had emotions that I uh, probably I didn't uh, learn how to deal with since I was a kid. You know, uh, you know, being sexually assaulted and all the, all those type of things. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I, I just never dealt with it. I just packed up and I went home and uh, and um, and while I was home, uh, another tragic accident happened. My my sister's uh, um, kids got killed uh, in in a car accident, oh. and so you know, it, it just seemed losing some a year after year after year. And my wife came home where we we talked a little bit, and then I started looking at the importance of life finally again. And uh, about two months after that, we, we finally got back together. She moved back home. Um, and then I went to a movie. I went, of all things, I went to a movie one afternoon, and I yeah. seen uh, the Muhammad, Al- Muhammad Ali story <clears throat> with Will Smith. And I'm yeah. going, man, oh, man, if this guy can go what he went through and, and do what he does, I could certainly get over hockey. So anyways, I, I walked out of there uh, a changed man. Uh, totally changed. Uh, I called up a few friends. I, I started up a golf tournament, and I started up the Ted Nolan Foundation. And uh, we give scholarships to First Nation women um, right, right across Canada. And uh, I'm very proud to say, Chris, of all the stuff that I've I've done, uh, we raised close to three million, uh, two three million dollars for in, for scholarships for First Nation women. And I named it after my mom. Uh, we call it the Rose Nolan uh, Scholarship Fund. And so we, we started that, and I, I just loved it. I fell in love with it. We had tournaments. We had events. We had uh, fundraising. Uh, we had a board of directors, and I, I was totally in tune to that. And we did that for about uh, six years. I just uh, closed it down last year for, for the wow. final, and I give it to seven universities that they can continue for the next 20 to 25 years. So anyways, I, I walked out of there, and, um, and I was totally happy. And then uh, you talk about rumors, and I'm hearing on radio that Ted just came back from New Jersey interviewing with the Devil's Job, and that was so far from the truth. Uh, Ted was in uh, uh, talking to this team, which was totally untrue. And I I finally said to my wife, said I should call the radio announcer, just tell them I'm I'm done coaching seven ten years ago. Uh, I'm not coaching anymore. Can you can you drop it? So, anyways, uh, lo and behold, I get a call that night. From, uh, from Robert Irving, uh, who owned the Moncton Wildcats of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. And uh, he called me and asked if I'd be interested in, in coaching his team. And I had no interest in coaching his team whatsoever. But he said he was going to be in Toronto the next couple of days. We went there and talked to him. And uh, I called home but 10 minutes in the conversation. And I called my wife and said, well, guess what? We're going to Moncton. Yeah, and uh, Moncton... <laughs> The only reason I went to Moncton was because this is the first gentleman that I've, I've met with that wanted wanted me to be a part of his team. And it, it felt such a warm, welcoming, and uh, you know, talk about another Boston kid. Uh, um, we got Keith Gandel up to, to play yeah. for us. Uh, Brad Marchand was playing with the Bruins. And, uh, geez, we had a great year. We, we won the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. And I was out of coaching for uh, for 10 years. And uh, to go back into that uh, environment and, and to win again, um, it at least showed I didn't lose my, my love for, for coaching. Um, uh, so anyways, we did that, and I got a call from uh, a team over in Latvia, and I coached the uh, 2014 Sochi Olympics. So uh, I really believe in, in uh, there's, there's a guy upstairs directing everything, and uh, there's, there's plans and and things happen in our lives for, for reasons. And, and what I went through and to what I, where I am right now, I'm probably the, the happiest I've ever been in my entire life. What was it like coach in Latvia? And it was that you were in, were you in Riga? Did you ever go there? And uh, yep, that's where I was based in Riga yeah. and uh, coaching. And then thankfully I, I coached uh, two kids, one uh, Oscar Bartulis. He played with the Philadelphia Flyers for a little bit. And, uh, uh, Marty Carsons, he played with the Boston Bruins a little bit. But anyways, they were both in, uh, both in Moncton when I coached. So when I went over there and I, I knew Sandus Ozelinch, uh, I never met uh, Arthur Zerbe except for just a handshake here and there. Uh, he was there, so I, I called up both those men, and uh, they, they both uh, um, – Sandus came back and played, and Arthur's helped with the coaching staff. So it was a great uh, – uh, and we, we took Canada right down to the limit. They, yeah. they beat us 2-1. But I tell you, it was uh, the city of Riga, the people of Latvia. I tell you, that's where I really fell back in love with, with sport. 
because they, they showed you what what sport is really all about. It's about it's about making friends, relationships, uh, competition, and they and the best thing over there is that they shake hands before the game and they shake hands after the game. Over here, you're, you're taught at an early age don't like that guy because he's on yeah. a different team. Don't don't even speak to him. Go on. That's not sportsmanship. Yeah, a big difference. And um, God, you, you know, it's funny. Living down, I was in Boston at the time, and I wasn't well, <clears throat> um, you know, for a few years there. And I didn't pay too much attention to hockey. And I flip on the TV, and there's Ted Nolan, <laughs> Coach and Lafayette. Now, how the hell did he get there? But he's back. And then, uh, obviously, uh, after coaching with Lafayette, you end up um, back uh, with the Sabres, 2013-2015. Uh, you were named the interim head coach uh, after they, um, Ron Ralston, uh, Ralston um, uh, was let go. But um, at the time, was it uh, Dashi Regier was the GM, but then Pat Lafontaine right? Yeah, well, actually, no, it, uh, Chris, it's uh, when when I did get my second chance into, into, into National Hockey League with the New York Islanders. The Islanders. After, after Buffalo, it was Pat okay. He was uh, he was the uh, uh, senior advisor to Charles Wong, the owner who, who uh, unfortunately recently passed away not too long ago. And so Patty was the uh, senior advisor. And when I was in coaching in Moncton, Charles uh, called me and said if I'd be interested in coaching the Islanders that season. I'm going, I, I can't leave now. I just got back uh, coaching Moncton. I promised I'd be here for the year. So I'll tell you, we can't promise it'll be at the end of the season. I said, well, thank you, but uh, I'm going to stay. And then, uh, so, but Patty got me there. And then with so the- So what goes uh, around comes around, right? You, yes, you know? and then I'm coaching over in Latvia. I'm coming back from uh, a tournament. And because uh, I called Patty, we came and uh, we, we kept in contact. And I called Patty about a, uh, a Broadway play because he's, he's from uh, Long yeah. Island. He's, he knows yeah. all the Broadway stuff. So I, I called him about this stuff. And I said, you know anybody get good tickets? So he called me when I was coming back from Latvia. And he said, Ted, I can't get those tickets. I said, shoot, uh, you know anybody else? So he said, no, you're not even going to New York. I said, what? He said, you're going to Buffalo. I'm going, what? I, I didn't even know he was with the Buffalo Sabres. So he's the one who brought me back to Buffalo again. So I owe a lot of, a lot to my good friend. Uh, not only did I coach him, but we became really good friends over the over the course of the year, which uh, I, I still contact a lot of my, my former players. And uh We've we created a, a bond and a friendship that uh, lasting, hopefully, for the rest of our lives. No, I was just going to say, what was that initial feeling like when you heard Buffalo? Like, was it kind of weird? Were you kind of hesitant? What was that like? I was, I was very hesitant. This yeah. is a, when, when I said I didn't want right. to go back. This is the first time I, I swear to God I didn't want to do it. But uh, when a good friend of yours calls you and says it's going to be, it's going to be good, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to get, we're going to do things right. Um, and it, so it didn't take much convincing after that. I, I said yes immediately because uh, not so much uh, uh, coaching the NHL again. It was just coaching with, with a good friend of mine, Pat LaFontaine, and, and the projection that he had and what we're going through. And I, I jumped on it immediately. And then all of a sudden my, my heart was broken six, months, six weeks later when, uh, when Patty was, uh, was let go. Yeah, it was incredible. I saw that whole thing and I just – you know, hear you back. And I, I just love the story, how you went to bat for Pat LaFontaine. You had the courage to stand up to, you know, what you felt was right and was right. And then you forged this relationship with this kid. And I played with Patty, Team USA in the Canada Cup. Um, and I absolutely love the guy. He's helped me recently. I'll have, you know, with my, uh, some other things, but he's just an incredible human being. And in, in you and that relationship with him, I just, I think that's so awesome. And that's, to me, the real story here with Ted Nolan. And, and through all this adversity that's hit you, uh, honestly, and you've dealt with during your life, with your, 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 your charity and the scholarship thing for your mom and, and what you're doing now with your child, I just think it's so admirable. And, uh, you know, I mean, certainly I, I'm proud of you, Ted Nolan, I am. Well, well, thanks, Chris. You know, when when you start looking at you know, people talk about all you know. I don't think there's a perfect person in on this earth. 
<laughs> you know, we all make mistakes, but you, you want to remember the, the good things. And, and uh, talking about uh, Pat LaFontaine, when I got the bu- uh, Buffalo job for the first time, we went back home, we had a fire in the backyard. And my younger brother asked me, he says, Ted, what the heck are you going to teach Patty LaFontaine that he doesn't already know? He's a superstar. <laughs> What, what, what are you going to, you know, I'm coming from junior hockey, basically. So what are you going to teach them? Said, you know, that was the first time I ever got, I got stumped. I'm going, you know, what am I going to tell them? I mean, I'm not going to teach them how to be a better player. You, you can't be better than what he already is. And uh, so that, that question stuck with me for three months until I went to training camp. And then uh, who's the first guy I meet at training camp? It was Pat LaFontaine. And uh, there's two young kids walking out of the arena and he called them both by their first name. And I said, uh, and they went to his hockey camp in the summertime, five months previously, I'm going, and he remembered their names. I'm going, so anyway, I called up my brother. I said, I don't have to worry about Pat LaFontaine. He's gonna teach me more than I could teach him. And just by seeing the type of gentleman that he was. So we formed, a, and uh, like I said, I'm, I'm proud of a lot of things, but uh, forming relationships with some of the uh, people that you work with, is uh, stuff that uh, that we that we create through sport. All right, and so are you going to coach again or what? I mean, it's all 2017. You come back with the Polish national team. What's that all about? <laughs> you didn't have enough. Well, you you know what? <laughs> it's a funny. Uh, I my, love my, it. My, if someone asked, I would. Uh, do I find it? You know, maybe it's in my culture. Uh, maybe it's in my upbringing that you don't want to ask people for for jobs. But if they if they're looking for someone who could maybe coach, they can they could ask you. So I, I'm kind of sitting around waiting for someone to to just like Robert Irving called me up and said uh, that was the first guy in ten years that ever called me up. And then uh, I get a call from Poland and uh, uh, they asked me and I went over and probably maybe I shouldn't have, but uh, like Poland was kind of a they're in the, the third, second division. But the, the way they treat their athletes is a little bit off what I normally do. They, yeah. they want their players practicing double practices five days a week, uh, exercise off ice and sauna and like seven days a week. I'm going all year long. I'm going, it's not like North America where you just do your hockey season, then you, you go home. Over there, they, they keep the guys busy all year long. And I didn't really agree with that philosophy. And uh, so I, I did it for one year, and uh, but I, I found we couldn't uh, we couldn't compete with everybody else being beat up like we are uh, on a regular basis. Because when I coached Buffalo Sabres, I still remember Gary Yally talking to me. Yeah, uh, I played with Gary. Right, he's another another good. And uh, anyways, I, I give them a day off uh, after a long trip. Then I give them another day off after another long trip. And anyways. Uh, Long story short, after about three or four months, Gary comes to my office and says, Coach, we have so many days off, more days off than I've had in my whole entire career. I said, Gary, if you're rested and you're, and you're, and you're, and you're full with family and spend, because we're away from our families, you know it, Chris, we're yeah. away from our families so much. So I tried to find out when, uh, when the players' kids were birthdays, and I, I, I kind of give them a day off. Go spend some time with your family because family to me is probably the most important thing. I wouldn't be, I probably wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for my family. So uh, I'm a, I'm a big family guy. So I just uh, and rest. If you're rested and you're uh, and you and you feel good about yourself, you're gonna you're gonna play even harder. You're gonna you're gonna work doubly as hard as you normally would because you you know you're gonna have some time to rest. So I, I'm a big rest guy and a, and a big family guy. And and I think if you do those two things together. Uh, you're going to have a pretty good uh, united group. No, this has been this. You have a uh, your story, Ted, is amazing. Honestly, I, it's like this. It's like a story of so much hope in the sense of it. Kind of you kind of define like our what we're trying to do with this podcast. And, and if you Google you and people that don't know you, they they played in the NHL, coached in the NHL. But it's like the story of how you got to the NHL. And then what amazes me is like when you first got asked to coach, you were like, you declined it. Like in your head, you were like, I'm never going to be a coach to what you did and how you coached in the NHL. And then obviously what happened in Buffalo, you, you did what probably most people want to do. And that's just run and get away and just, it's just leave the scenario. And then you get asked to coach there again, later on, you take it and you take it. And I think that's amazing. And and that's the story of change and hope and all that. But 
what is what's it like for you to watch your kids play today? You know that that was probably the only hockey I, I watched. Yeah. I, 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 don't get me wrong. I, I not that I, I just kind of like some. I, I dislike some of the things hockey does, but I, I love the game. I, I think it's a wonderful game. I think you you pass and you and you block and you uh, do certain plays off faceoffs. I mean, it's a it's a wonderful game. So when my both my boys uh, took a liking to it, um, I, I watched I watch every one of their games, uh, and I was very lucky to go down to L.A and watch uh, Jordan, who was a seventh-round NHL pick. And all of a sudden, you know, being part of two Stanley Cup winning teams, uh, bringing, the, bringing the cup back to the reserve uh, yeah. on two occasions. And we have, a, we, we have sunrise ceremonies. And uh, we went down to the graveyard and had a sunrise ceremony. Uh, but both my parents have, have passed away. We went down to the graveyard, and my, and my father's name was Stanley. So we kind of brought the Stanley Cup down to Stanley at the uh, – at the graveyard, and next year we came back because my mom was a big powwow organizer. So we had a powwow with the, with the second Stanley Cup, the third one that he won with. Uh, uh, he was part of the team with uh, St. Louis. We just had a little fam- family gathering with uh, just real some close friends. But to watch him do what he did, and my other son um, uh, play too. But he had a, he suffered a severe head injury when he was only 24, 25 years old, ended his career. So. But uh, they both love the game, and that's probably the, the best part about it. Yeah, that's so awesome. And now uh, you're still coaching somewhat. You have the uh, three Nolans uh, hockey camp. You're doing with both your sons, Brandon and Jordan. How is that, and how is that impacting your community? You, you know what? Uh, this is probably the best job that I've, that I've ever, had, ever had because I'm, I'm working with my two boys. We're going into communities that don't have access to, uh, you know, if they break a stick, uh, they have to wait for a shipment from, a, from an airplane coming in a month later. Uh, yeah. If their skates are dull, they have no skate sharpener. So going into communities uh, that are a little bit off the beaten path, and we have 43 remote communities right here in Ontario alone. And a lot of those communities are uh, uh, food insecurities. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, unfortunately, there's some suicide issues that, that we're dealing with and what have you. So to go into the community and, and bring a little sunshine and hope through the sport of hockey, it's, it's wonderful. We go in, we have a parent session, we have a kid session where the parents get to ask us some questions about uh, what it's like when, when you leave the community. Uh, what, what, what type of treatment do you expect? And it's funny, uh, I was talking to some NHL people lately, and we've been doing this now since I, I played my first game in the National Hockey League when I was 26, you know, uh, 40-something years ago, or almost 40 years ago. And, I, you know, I, I think I've been educating the wrong people. I think we have to educate the, the people in the mainstream what where some of our kids are coming from, some of the issues that they, they face, uh, you don't know if they're hungry in the morning. I, I went to a lot of practices where I was I was hungry, and I went to a lot of schools when I was 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 hungry, and maybe I wasn't the the, the best student in the in the in the class that day, but maybe there's a reason for it. So so to educate people of uh, where some of our people are coming from, or people that don't look like them, where they come from, could be a could be a big help. So working with the three Nolans and my two boys going into schools, we get some good uh, donations. We give them jerseys. We give them uh, some, at some cases, we give them sticks. We bring in some extra skates when we could. Um, so it, it's just wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, that's certainly, um, it's awesome to be able to work with your sons and, and, and stay connected to the game, certainly that you love. Uh, do you think looking at the NHL, um, and what they're doing now, do you think they do enough for the, the initiative to combat racism and, you know, and kind of accelerate those inclusion efforts for, for minorities and stuff? Do you think the NHL does enough? Uh, they're, they're, they're trying. I, I don't know if they yeah. really are. And, and by, go, by, by going into our communities and, and showing them that they, they do care, is going to go a lot way, a lot more away than doing an infomercial on, on TV and say, uh, "We really, we really stand with you." I, I think that the biggest uh, incident that happened in the in the states was with George Floyd and, and how that really uh, awakened everybody. And uh, I think uh, hockey of all sports, I think that's the one that needs to be awoken probably the the uh, the best. You look at Major Baseball did. You look what yeah. uh, NFL did. Uh, you look at uh, 
NBA did. Uh, now hockey, it, it's still about 90, 97%. Um, Caucasian people that, that are playing. So we, we got a long ways. And, and another factor now, more so now than, than when we played, Chris, was uh, yeah. the cost. I mean, the, the cost yeah. is crazy. Uh, uh, to do what I went through and how I got there, I would never be able to do it in today's, today's world because right. there's so many power skating and edging work and uh, high-end hockey schools and uh, kids are being so far advanced that uh, you, you can't keep up. So uh, we, we got a long ways to go, and uh, but we're, we're slowly chipping at it. And hopefully I'll see a difference between uh, before we go to the next, uh, next part of our, our next chapter of our, of our, of our lives. Yeah, I got a, just two, a couple more little things. I know Barry's going to ask you a question, my producer, producer Barry. Um, just two, I want to say two things before I do let you go. And one of them, would you ever coach again in the NHL if you offered the job? I would coach if someone called me up and sincerely wanted me to be a part of uh, a team and not a, not a token. Uh, yeah, hey, let's let's fill in that gap. No, I, I, I never wanted to be part of that gap filling process. Yeah. But if someone really sincerely wanted me to uh, uh, help, and I, I, it's funny, I, I think I'm a better coach now than I was back then. Because you know, when you're young, you're 26. Yeah. 26 years old, 30 years old, uh, you, you think as, as a 30-year-old does. And as you, as you, as you get older, you, you get more wise to, to, uh, to events in the world and, and how you could even communicate better and what you've learned and all the, the history of what you went through. I, I sincerely believe I, I'm a way better coach than I am now than I would be uh, when I won Coach of the Year with the Buffalo Sabres uh, because you, now you had the maturity to add on to your – uh, your motivation. So would I coach if somebody wanted me to coach and asked me to, not just to fill in, I, I would love to. Well, I'd love to see that happen. Maybe one day again, you get that opportunity. I certainly, um, you know, always admire you and even more so today hearing your story and really, uh, you're, you're, you're a good man. I wish you nothing but the best in your future, no matter what you do. And, um, you stay in touch down the road, Ted, you just, um, uh, you're a breath of fresh air, my friend. I, I'll be honest with you. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, by, by, like I said, I'm, I'm an admirer of, you, of, of yours also, and uh, not not only because of your, your toughness, but uh, it seems like we almost had a similar type of uh, upbringing and background yes, where we, we did. where where we are, and and uh, it's not easy. It's not easy to even in the best of times, but uh, what you fought through and how you got to where you got to and, and how you had to overcome to some of the difficulties that you had in your life like we, we all face. And uh, where you're sitting today, uh, that's all we have. So well, it's funny, you know, not funny, but Ted, just quickly, you know, the Irish community and the Native community, there are a lot of similarities when you talk about alcoholism, abuse, drug abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. You know, maybe not to the degree that we've seen over the years on the res, but there's a lot of parallels there, no question about it. And, um, yeah, again, good to have you. Barry, I know you're dying, Barry. I'm dying to ask a couple of questions. Ted, I can't tell you how much we enjoyed. I'm sure they did, too. I've enjoyed this tremendously. Really, I love listening to you. I, I had a two, three questions. How do you describe your coaching style? If someone was, if your players were to describe your style, how would they describe your style? Uh, I, I would say, you know, I, I, I cared about our athletes. I, I really sincerely cared about the athletes, and I never judged on on wins and losses. I, I never, never did. Uh, if we played the, to the best of our abilities and uh, tried as hard as we could, to me, that was always winning. And uh, you can only give which you can give. And if the players give what they had and you support them. So I would say, I, I just really can care with they had a bad game. I, I felt bad for them. If they had a great game, I, I felt happy for them. And, uh, but sometimes when you get too happy, you get too high. And then when you get too uh, lost, you get too low. So just kind of maintaining that, that thing. So I would say, I would say my, my thing would be number one is, uh, I do a lot of things in, in life. Uh, I'm very passionate about, uh, uh, the, the caring of the athlete. And uh, are there any, is there, a, if I had a Mount Rushmore of coaches, where would you, where would you, who would you put on other than yourself? And you were looking at the Mount Rushmore coaches. Is there any, a few that you say yourself, those are people you emulate or is it really 
you didn't, you know, I, w- I wonder if there was just any of them you Mount really say yourself what. <laughs> you know, I, I never met, I never mm-hmm. met too many, but uh, from what I, uh, I, I actually, I met one would definitely be up there is uh, L. Arbor. Uh, and and talking to all the Islander players that I had a chance to, and what kind of man he was, was uh, outweighed his his winnings. Uh, um, so Al Arbor would definitely be there. One of the guys I I studied from uh, when I um, when I became a hockey coach was a basketball coach, Phil Jackson. How he had native spirituality into his uh, line of work. I I, I just loved it because it wasn't all one dimensional basketball. It was it was about life. Uh, uh, Vince Lombardi. Uh, you, you look at uh, what what he did, and he only had something. I I didn't study him as deeply as uh, uh, Phil Jackson, but just what he how he had six or seven plays of whatever he had, and he just did it. And that's what we did with uh, with with Mohawk team. We had how many how many faceoff plays can you actually do? How many uh-huh. how many ways can you practice uh, warming up a goalie? Like how many systems can you actually have in hockey? It's not not too many. No. But, but if the players are doing it with a little kind of love and a little kind of passion and, and enjoy going to the rink, because before you know it, uh, they're not going to the rink anymore. They they got to go out and find a, a real job and, and live the rest of their life. But while they're playing the game. Uh, to make it very enjoyable, so those those would probably be my my three guys, uh, uh, and one of them I, I had a privilege of, of meeting in El Arbor. Yeah, That's my awesome. last question that I love asking: If I was writing your hockey eulogy, your hockey eulogy, what would be the first sentence of the eulogy? Um, I, I cared. That's all I could do is I I, I cared. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't start playing hockey because I wanted to play in the National Hockey League. I played because I, I loved the game. Uh, I didn't start coaching the, the hockey game because I, I wanted to get the NHL. I, I coached it because I, I, I loved the game. So, um, unfortunately, there's there's a lot of people that uh, that are that are left out that really truly love the game. And I'll, I'll close off with the. With uh, with one story that a guy maybe I would put on my mouth with Rushmore. He was a Bantam coach in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Uh, and when I got, I became the head coach of the Sioux Greyhounds, the first guy I hired was uh, a gentleman by the name of Mike Zook. And he coached the Bantam hockey team in Sault Ste. Marie. And every, from Ronnie Francis to Paul DiPietro, every uh, really good player ever played in Sault Ste. Marie, they all went to his outdoor rink. And he knew more about hockey than I, than... He probably forgot more than I knew, and how he studied the Russian mentality and how he grew. He was a smoker at the time. He 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 passed away a number of years ago. His son played with the St. Louis Blues, Mike Zook Jr. Yeah, and I remember him grabbing the ashtray and pulling out all the cigarette butts and putting them <laughs> up as a as a line and put his uh, fingers through the ashes and through the red line, blue line, and we just <laughs> talked about uh, and how he made a, a shoebox. He made a shoebox out of out of wood. And he put rubber around the bottom of it, and he put it at center ice. And he put uh, half the guys on one blue line, half on the other blue line, with three pucks, and they they shoot it and try to hit that box to try to push it over that that line to them, and they would try to push it back. And the trick was the box was the size of a, a hockey blade, so you're passing the, the the you're trying to hit that. You're improving your passing. So all those crazy mm-hmm. things. I, I just love the guy, and and he helped me uh, even love the game more. Ted. Uh- Certainly awesome, and 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 you 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 do care, and I can tell by the way you speak. And um, I got to tell you, I love you. You're a good man, and um, I I wish you nothing but the best moving forward, my friend. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Likewise, back.